Okay, we're going to talk about the mitzvah. We call it, everybody calls it the mitzvah. I can't keep asking people their names. Uh, the, the, we call it the mitzvah of appointing a king. There's such a, such a mitzvah in the Torah, to appoint a king. Now, what I'm telling you, what I just said, is not entirely true. Because there is a question as to whether it's a mitzvah, whether it's obligatory to appoint a king or not. So first, let's look at two psukim and try to understand, try to understand what the difficulties are in the directive in the Torah. So the first thing on the sheet, kitavol haaretz, kitavol haaretz. That's an introduction that exists many times in the book of. Dvarim, in the book of Dvarim, which we are learning now. Kitavol Haaretz means this is something that applies to you when you come to Eretz Yisrael. It also technically could only apply in Eretz Yisrael because until they came to Eretz Yisrael, they had a king. His name was Moshe Rabbeinu. He was the king. He was the decider. He, was, he had all that authority. So there was absolutely no need to appoint a king. But the Torah goes on with greater specificity and it says it's not just kitavo el ha'aretz. It's not, that's not a condition for appointing a king. The second clause is asher Hashem lecha which God will give to you. That refers to the word aretz, the land which God will give to you, right? So there's giving the land, and then the verbs continue and say, you will inherit it, and you will settle it. In, in, uh, in other words, you have to remember that halachically also, the Talmud, the Gemara, looks at it that way. You get, the, it belongs to you, right? Eretz Yisrael belongs to the Jewish people. However, they have to actualize that ownership by kibush v'yeshiva, by conquering the land and settling the land. That's what the Torah says in many places, including this, this pasuk. Ki when you come to the land, what does that mean that you come to the land? Well, that means that it's the land that God promised you Right, so, but, but acquisition of that land only takes place after kibush v'yishibau. Kibush and nachala is the word that's often used in the Torah. Conquest and, the, and, and settling. You have to settle the land. And was to make it yours, to make it yours, you have to do something. You have to do something so that even though Avram Avinu was promised the land, and that promise was reiterated for Yitzchak, and that promise was reiterated again for Yaakov. The land did not truly become the land of Israel until Kibush Nachala or Kibush Yeshiva, conquest and settling. That's what had to happen, right? Right, ve'amarta. Well, that sounds as and you and if you will say, or if you say, or if you will say, if you will say, it's not, it's not a mitzvah to say, but it means if you'll say, ve'amarta, asima alai melech kikola gayim asher svivotai. Now, this for us is a very difficult phrase. It's a very difficult phrase. I mean, 
It's the only kind of mitzvah that is connected to, that seems to be connected to, uh, I- imitating the goyim, imitation of, of non-Jews. If you say, Vamarta, and you will say, if you say, right, you don't have to say, I will place upon me, myself, a king. In other words, I come to some kind of political decision, right, what we call today politics, that the nation that has inherited the land, that lives on the land, could improve itself somehow by organizing all together, and that meant a king, having a king, and then there's this phrase that is so annoying, just like all of the nations around me, we know their names, you know, Ammon and Moab and Amor and Mitzrayim and Babel and Ashur, all of those nations, every last one of them had a king. As we know today, today we're very expert in the ancient Near East. We know all about the ancient Near East and about the, the peoples who lived there and the kings who were kings. And of course it goes through Babylonia and Persia, right? These are the nations that had all sorts of influence on, on Am Yisrael. But what reason, why does the Torah give this as the reason as the reason for what B'nai Yisrael are going to do. Well, maybe it's just a secular thing. Maybe it's not, uh, it's not something, it's not that the Torah wants. It's like sort of the Torah says, look, you're going to do this, but there's a certain limitation. There's something that you cannot do, and that's in the next pasuk. Son tasim alecha melech, in other words, that's the, for those of you who remember, you stay in Upan, Som is the imperative of Lasim, to put Som, place upon yourself. And Som Tasim, Hebrew, in Hebrew is. Uh, in Hebrew they call it Lashon Nofel Alashon it was like a reduplicated verb now generally when you ask when a kid in the class like Rita Dalit says why does the Torah say Som Tasim and not just Som or Tasim the teacher will say for emphasis Emphasis is a word that teachers use when they don't know the answer. <laughs> because there is nothing more horrifying to a teacher than admitting that he or she doesn't know the answer. So, so I don't know the answer. I know that sometimes the Torah says, Sakol yisakel o yaro yiyare. He will be stoned, stoned. He will be shot down, shot down. So to me, it seems like if you're dead, you're just as dead with one verb as you could be dead with two verbs. So it's very hard to know what it is that this means. So I I figure we're all old enough to put up with the idea that the teacher doesn't know something. So I don't know. But it is a command. Yes. 
It's a command. Som tasima lecha melech. Som tasima lecha melech. You should place upon you a, yourselves a king. God will choose. In other words, it seems like what's the concern of the Torah is that you will appoint a king who will not be a Jewish king, who will be a like like a, you bring in a a CEO from Google, and you because he's such a big success, and you'll appoint him king. So the Torah says no. If you want to have a king, so okay, you could have a king. You could have a king. But that king has to be chosen by God. And of course, this reminds us of the story of Shmuel HaNavi and Shaul HaMelech, which in short was that the people came to Shmuel HaNavi and they said, we want a king. Why they want a king? They said whatever they said. Shmuel HaNavi was very insulted because he was the kind of de facto leader at that time. He wasn't a king. He was a prophet. And prophets have a kind of different notion of, of leadership than kings. So he was insulted. HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to Shmuel HaNavi, do it. Let them have a king. And along came Shaul. You remember Shaul? He was a tall, good-looking guy. And that was enough according to the, to the Tanakh. Those were his credentials. He was, a sh he was a shepherd, but he was tall and good looking. And he, uh, uh, he was appointed king by the Navi. It was the Navi that appointed him king, so it fulfilled the demand of the Pasuk. That the king should be one of you should be a Jewish king. You can hire the guy from Google to do all kinds of things, but not to be the king. Not to be the king because obviously, I guess, I mean, I would say that there was some spiritual value to kingship that could only be fulfilled by a person who accepted the spiritual obligations of the Torah. If you didn't accept the spiritual obligation, you couldn't, you couldn't be king because king was not just a legislative matter. A, le a legislative matter. And the continuation of the parasha says that, that one of the things that the king has to do is carry around the Sefer Torah with him all the time. Because the Torah kind of, I imagine, we could say, that the Torah thought that power corrupts. And the only stopgap to the corruption of power by the king would be the Torah. Like if he looks at the Torah all, at, all the time, he might be able to get away. We know that that's not, that was not the case. I mean, it was not the case in fact. If you look in the books of Shmuel and then Melachim, you'll see that most of the kings in, well, in Israel, in, in, uh, in all of Am Yisrael, well, there were only... Shaul, Shaul, David, and Shlomo, right? Those were the only kings that ruled over the entirety of Eretz Yisrael. After the death of Shmuel Anafi, the nation divided between the north and the south. And if you, I mean, Shaul HaMelech, I mean, it's like a, he was a tragedy whether he was considered to be a good king or a good person or not a good person, he certainly had things about him that were not so good. David, of course, was the model of the perfect king. 
And Shlomo HaMelech had the honor of building the Beit HaMikdash. Even though at the end, at the end he taxed the people so heavily that they turned against him. And that's why after he died, well, part of the reason, you know, like you, I like to say I, I know what happened, but I don't really. But when he died, when he died, the, the nation split into two because his son, his son, whose name was Rechavam, said after being, after an appeal by the people for lowering taxes, he said, no, no, I'm going to raise taxes. And uh, the Navi appointed a new king for the northern part of, of, of Israel, whose name was Yeravam ben Nevat, who turned out to be the most terrible person imaginable, who tried to deny uh, the northern kingdom, the people of the northern kingdom, access to Yerushalayim and this kind of spiritual option that Yerushalayim gave them. He tried to stop them. And he set up, and the Gemara says that he set up guards, you know, like tax, tax points, where people who went from the north in the direction of Yerushalayim were uh, dissuaded from getting there. So that the actual history of kingship in Eretz, in Am Yisrael, was not so bright. I mean, either we include Shaul HaMelech with the not-so-terrible kings, but Shaul, David, and, and Shlomo, after that, it was really terrible. And here and there in history, there was a better person who was king. Most of the kings were serious idolaters and deniers of the Torah. So you see that it didn't work. Right, Som Tasim Alecha Melech, the Pasuk says, place upon yourself a king, that God will choose. It will choose because of a Navi. A Navi, a prophet, will appoint the king as king. And even though the prophet appointed Yeravam ben Nevat king after Shlomo Abelach, he was a terrible person. It, was, it didn't have an effect, didn't have the desired effect. You cannot appoint as king a foreigner, a non-Jew. You can't do that. You can't do that so that, that even in the, I would say, that even in the political arena, it's not just me, if you look at the Barbadell, the Barbadell has a long discussion about the political implications of kingship. But even if you say, even if you say uh, uh, that, that the king is a, uh, uh, an administrator, somebody who makes decisions of a certain kind, but not of a religious kind. He doesn't make religious, at least in theory, because there's a Navi, there's a Kohen, right? The prophet and the priest. They're the ones who are in charge of the religious, uh, uh, religious decision-making in Am Yisrael. Nevertheless, it is required of the king that he become part of the community of people who look to the Kohen and the Navi. And if you look at the history of... Uh, of kingship in Israel, you'll see 
that it was this breach of power or this kind of uh, this uh, situation that the king was not able to accept. He was not able to accept the authority of the priest or the authority of the, of the prophet. And because he was not able to accept their authority, he denied their authority. And by denying their authority, he also had to deny the authority of the Torah. It was what happened in, in, in Jewish history was, I mean, not so different than what, what happens today, is that, that the authority is might be placed in the hands of uh, people who are not so savvy about politics, but uh, the politicians, if they don't accept their authority, their opinion, their uh, understanding and their sensitivities, lose out for Am Yisrael. That Am Yisrael follows suit and doesn't accept that authority. Okay, and I want to just uh, tell you the end, of the, the end of the story and then we'll do the middle. If you look at the bottom of the page, if you look at the bottom of the page, there's a, there's a quote from the Rambam. The Rambam, do you see it? So the, the Rambam, the Rambam uh, discussed the Mashiach. Right? The Rambam discussed the Mashiach. Now it's very important to remember Mashiach, Messiah. But the Rambam thought that the Mashiach would, was sort of a regular person. He was a regular person who had the power to set things right. I mean, he had, he had this leadership quality. And so the Mashiach would be able to create a situation which is very close to what the Torah wanted of us. That's the way the Rambam understood it. He didn't think that the Mashiach was, you know, had wings, that he flew around, that he had supernatural powers coming out of his fingertips. He didn't think anything like that. He thought that the Mashiach was a regular person. Regular in the sense that he was born and he grew up. And then he, somehow people recognized in him his special talents. So how does the Rambam say that? What I just said. How does the Rambam say it? The Rambam knew Hebrew very well. And he had a wonderful knack of, of, of uh, language. The Rambam says this, HaMelech HaMashiach. You see the first two words? HaMelech HaMashiach. The King, the Mashiach. Now if you look at English translations here and there, often the word Mashiach is translated as King. The Mashiach, the Messiah, is a King. So when he says HaMelech HaMashiach, he means the Melech that should be in Yisrael, is the Mashiach. And even if he doesn't really mean that, it's good for me to say it that way. But I think you could say it that way. It's not so terrible. Not so HaMelech HaMashiach. There's something called the Mashiach, and there's something called the Melech. And they become one. The Melech and the Mashiach become one. One person. Atid La'amod, Atid, in the future, it's sometime in the future, he doesn't try to bring a date for this to happen. Atid la'amod u'lahachzir, to stand and to return Malchut David liyoshna. Malchut David liyoshna. That means 
the kingship of David will return and be reestablished, which means that this person that we're talking about, the Melech HaMashiach, is a direct descendant, is a direct descendant of David HaMelech. Is a direct descendant of David. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? So there's this question. There's this question that the, 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 the Sefer Chinuch asks. Right? This is the rule. The rule is that when you appoint a king, when you appoint a king, this is a halacha, you appoint a king, when he dies, who becomes king? This is not a trick question. The person He becomes his son becomes king. His son becomes king. Now, what's the difference between the father and the son? The father was picked by God. The father was picked by God. The son. Well, okay, that's a difference. What's the difference uh, uh, halachically? The son doesn't need the oil. Yeah, fair. The son doesn't have to be anointed, as you see in the picture on the back. I don't like this picture, but uh, but you understand this is the anointing of Saul from the Bible. So you see who's taller, Saul or Shmuel Hanavi? Saul is taller, right? You see, Mark Shagal, he got it right. He got that right. I know about everything else, but he, he's being anointed. So Saul was anointed, and then David Hamelech was anointed. But his son Shlomo HaMelech was not anointed. So the Menchat Chinuch says, the Menchat Chinuch says that, how could it be a mitzvah? How could it be a mitzvah to, to, to appoint a king? The king is automatically appointed. And that's what the Rambam says. The Rambam says the king that's going to be the ultimate king, right? The king of kings, the king of the future. That king is Malchut David Liyoshna. How, how could you return Malchut David? Only if you have a real scion, S-C-I-O-N, of, of David HaMelech. It doesn't matter how many years pass. It doesn't matter how many years pass. David HaMelech had a son, his son had a son, his son had a son, etc. And it doesn't matter that they eventually went into exile. And it doesn't matter that they've lived somehow in the diaspora for the last 2,000 years. But when it comes time for the Melech HaMashiach to come, he's going to be a descendant of David HaMelech, right? Lachzir Machut David Liyoshna L'Memshalah HaRishonah. L'Memshalah HaRishonah. To reestablish the original line of kingship that began with David HaMelech. Uvoneha Mikdash. He's going to build the Beit HaMikdash. Umekabeitz Nitchei Yisrael. And he'll bring together all of this, those who dispersed, all of the Jews who are dispersed over the land. Vechosrim kola mishpatim biyamav kshayubikodem. And all the judgments will be made by rabbinic courts as it was in the time of David HaMelech. Makrivim Korbanot, this is interesting because you know that the Rambam himself was of the opinion in the Mori Nebuchim, in the Guide to the Perplexed, that Korbanot might have been, might have been brought because uh, people had this weakness. They wanted somehow, they saw, the Rambam says, the Jews saw 
Karbanot being given all over the world by various people, so in order to prevent them from being jealous somehow, or from seeing other religious experiences being valid, gave us Karbanot. So there are those who would say that the Rambam perhaps thought that since the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed and we haven't given Karbanot for so many years, maybe the future will also not contain Korban. And then the Gemara also says something along those lines that maybe the most Korbanot will not be given in the future. But here the Rambam says that the Mashiach will enable sacrifices. That there will be Makrivim Korbanot. That's what the Rambam, that's what the Rambam says. Vosim Shmitim V'yovlot Shemitah every seventh year, Yovel every fiftieth year, Kikol Mitzvatah Murabah Torah, as the Torah directs us with the mitzvot. But the Rambam does not say that the that the king that appointing a king is a mitzvah, or that appointing the king needs a request, or that appointing the king uh, is to uh, to achieve something other than a spiritual revival. That's what the Rambam says, that the ultimate kingship in Israel is spiritual. It's not pragmatic, which is what the Pasuk seems to be talking about, because if the Torah says, don't appoint some non-Jewish king, in other words, I mean, appoint, you know, like uh, they could intermarry two big families, uh, the family of the king of Babylon, and you say, well, that's a big... That's a big enterprise, Babylonia, and we're like a little, a little enterprise. So, so no, Bosim should be told we have lot. We call Misha Eino Ma'amin Bo as Misha O Misha Eino Mechakele Biato. Whoever doesn't believe that this is the end game, that that's what's going to happen at the end, or someone who is not waiting for the uh, for the coming of this Mashiach. He's not just denying prophecy of various prophets, but he's denying something that is promised by the Torah and by Moshe Rabbeinu. After all, the Torah itself says, at the end of Dvarim, that God will return all of you and have mercy on you. The psukim seem to indicate that the future is guaranteed. An interesting idea. But the future for Am Yisrael is a guarantee in the Torah. Not the present. We don't know about the present. Because we're not always what we should be, we're not always the way we should be, we're not always devoted as we should be, but at the end of all things, we are promised, and this is all in the, the psukim at the end of Dvarim, in the parasha, chapter 30, right? Dvarim, chapter 30, which is called parasha tshuva, says, says that even though you think that tshuva you think tshuva is a willful act. Like you do tshuva. You have to want to do tshuva. In spite of that, the psukim seem to guarantee tshuva. 
There's no way to imagine that this is not going to happen. Because it is part of the promise. Just, the part, just as Eretz Yisrael is part of the promise, just as uh, uh, knowledge of Torah is part of the promise, so too, so too is uh, the future part of the promise that Moshe Rabbeinu left us as an inheritance. At least this is how the Rambam, this is how the Rambam understands it. And these things that are promised in the Torah, that the future is guaranteed, this is something that the prophets repeated again and again. So that if you don't wait for the Mashiach, the, the, the Rambam was not talking about something mystical. He was not talking, when he said wait for the Mashiach, he didn't mean... He didn't mean that someone was going to, as I said before, come flapping down from heaven and say, I'm the Mashiach. But it's something that must happen. That's what the Rambam was talking about. That's called faith. That's called faith. Faith means that you trust the divine promise. Right? In Hebrew, it's called bitachon. That's called bitachon. That's what was repeated again and again. And that was the big issue that the Jews had in Egypt. Slavery. Slavery seemed to be the opposite of what God had promised Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, right? Because what God had promised them was independence of some sort. They would be able to determine, if they did the right thing, they would be able to determine who they were and where they were going. Whereas the slavery in Egypt said, you are what we want you to be and you're not going anywhere. And so slavery in Egypt enabled them to get to the point where they could overcome difficult realities. Difficult realities would seem to contradict the divine promise. He says, even though the reality seems to contradict the divine promise, we are confident that it will happen. So what I wanted you to see was that the notion of Melech, the notion of Melech morphed into, like where is this Melech that was appointed when David Melech was appointed? Where is he today? Well, he's in, he is located in the hope in the hope for the future, the hope of the future, which we call Melech Mashiach. That's what the Rambam, that's what the Rambam said. Now, if you look at the Gemara, look at the Gemara, you see, you see in the, going up from the bottom, there's a Gemara. Kena uh, Yerab Yehudah, four lines from the bottom of the section called Masechet Sanhedrin. Davkaf Amudbet is a machloket Tanaim. Right, Tanaim? You should know. They, they're the ones who told us what to do and what to avoid. Right? They're the ones who created the Mishnah and other kinds of Tanaitic, important Tanaitic literature like the Medrashim. So Rabbi Yehuda Omer, I'm four lines from the bottom of the section. There were three mitzvot that Bnei Yisrael had to accomplish when they got into Eretz Yisrael, when they entered the land. One was to 
to have a king to establish, to appoint a king to destroy the Amalekites to destroy Lachrit to, to, to undo the, the uh, seed of Amalek and the third is Levnot Lahem Beit HaBechira now where, where Rabbi Yehuda gets this from is a mystery how does Rabbi Yehuda know how does Rabbi Yehuda know that, that there's a mitzvah to appoint a king. After all, what does it say in the Chumash? What does it say in the Chumash? You see the Pesach? It seems to be connected to my will, not to somebody imposing will upon me. And then, so we have Rabbi Nahorai. Rabbi Nahorai, Omer, another Tana. Rabbi Nehorai says, Lo nemra parasha zo. This parasha, this section, which deals with the king, with appointing a king, Ela keneget tar tam. Tar is anger, their annoyance. They'd be annoyed about something. Like they were annoyed at Shmuel Hanavi. They said, Shmuel and Avi, all you want us to do is a few mitzvahs and learn Torah and sit around and we're not being economically uh, 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 active and we're not getting rich and we're not traveling and we're not seeing the world and it's all your fault. You, Shmuel and Avi, it's your fault because you're not interested in any of that stuff. And we are interested in that stuff. So that's called tar omet. That's anger annoyance, unhappiness. So Rabbi Nahorai said, what do you mean? He says, you see from the story of Shmuel Hanavi and the Jews who came to Zikinim, who came to ask Shmuel Hanavi to appoint a king, that they were just angry with Shmuel Hanavi, not because he was doing a bad job, but he was doing a different job. He was trying to make the people better, more attuned to their spiritual interests. And so the people came and said, look, it's very nice to be spiritual, but we'd rather be rich. And so, Shmuel was angry at them. And God said to Shmuel, for some reason, well, you have to let them have a king. And it was, it was sort of, the, the decision from heaven was that the situation was so bad that you'd have to give in, otherwise who knows what might happen. So Rabbi Nehorai, remember Rabbi Nehorai Omer? Lo nemra parasha zo lekeneget har omet sheneema v'amarta asima alai melech. It's only when people get to that state of frustration where they have to say asima alai melech that I want to have a king that the people are going to be that people are going to want they're going to want a king. So it's true that the position of Rabbi Yehuda, the Rabbi, the position to my mind remains uh, difficult, difficult. How did Rabbi Yehuda know that it was a mitzvah? But to compound that, you know that, uh, that uh, the Rambam says, this is, the, this is what the Rambam quotes Rabbi Yehuda, lahalacha, and he ignores Rabbi Nehorai. If you look at the Rashi, the Rashi on the Gemara, at the last, the last three lines of the Rashi, uh, Lo ne'emra. 
Parashazo. This is Rabbi Nehorai. Right? Lo Nemra Parashazo, the parasha of kingship, was only about people being angry. They were happy. There would never be a king. So the Rabbi Nehorai says, according to Rashi, the son tasim alechem melech mishum mitzvah. That says, Lo Nemra Parashazo. It's not a mitzvah. It's only if you want it. It's only if you want to have a king. That, that's not called a mitzvah. A mitzvah is when God tells you to do something or tells you to avoid doing something. It's only because of their anger. It's well known to HaKadosh Baruch that God knows that the future, the future, they're going to get angry. That the people are not going to be able to put up with this kind of interest in only spiritual things, but they all want to have real things. They're going to be angry in the future with Lomar. We want to be like all the other people who seem to be living a good life even though they don't have to learn Torah. They don't have that, that burden. That the, puzzle, that the Torah is promising us that we're this way. That we're not going to be able to maintain. That we're not going to be able to be the way the Torah wants us to be forever. Rabbi Nehorayamar that this statement the Rabbi Nahorai is not in the Tosefta version of the Mishnah Rashi says but this is a mistake the way it is in the Gemara is correct so okay so there's a problem with the name Rabbi Nahorai but you see that Rashi says that Rashi explains Rabbi Nahorai that this is a prediction that this is a prediction but the Rambam the Rambam thinks that Rabbi Yehuda is the one who is really in charge and the way the Rambam is able to say that the kingship in Israel is a mitzvah is that he makes a connection between the kingship of David HaMelech and the Melech HaMashiach this is the way this is the way the Rambam understands this parasha as a mitzvah. And so even though he says that he might agree with Rabbi Nehorai that the kinks, that the kickstart, you know, how does it get going? Is Taromet, you know, people are unhappy, they, are, they need somebody who gives them confidence that the world is going to be all right. In spite of that, in spite of that fact, uh, it produces a mitzvah because it produced David HaMelech. It produced King David, who then becomes the father of Mashiach HaMelech. Right, the, that David HaMelech becomes the father. There's one more thing I'd like you to, well, more than one more thing. If you turn the page, there's a pasuk in the Torah. The second pasuk in the Torah, right? Va'aretz before creation is before the orderly creation whatever that means it's an easy word but in this pasuk I wouldn't take a chance it was tohu vavohu tohu vavohu 
Okay, we'll give it a try. Uh, like a mess. It was all a mess. It was undistinguished. It was all, everything mushed together. Undifferentiated. Undifferentiated, that's good, I like that. I may have even said that once. Undifferentiated. Alpinei tehom. Tehom are the depths. Pinei tehom, the top of the depths, the top of the bottom. I mean, it's like a hard puzzle. If, if you try to visualize it, it does, like, doesn't come out to anything. And then it says, Ruach Elohim Mirachevet Al Pnei Hamayim. Ruach Elohim. I haven't got a clue. Spirit. Want to give it a try? Spirit. Okay, spirit. Spirit. What's it mean? It's God. It's just there. Is there a difference between God, Elohim, and Ruach Elohim? You say no. That's an easy way out. <laughs> but it might be different. I mean, Ruach Elohim. It's got to be something. I mean, describe what? It's not an emphasis. The it's not emphasis. It's what you said before. The, um, I said that the, about the, the, about Lashon Mofel Lashon. But here it says Ruach Elohim Merachefet. What is Merachefet? Hovers. Hovers. In order for it to hover, what do you need? In order to have a hover. <laughs> you need a space. Yeah. You know, in other words, let's say you have you have the arets, and you have ruach Elohim hovering. Okay. Well, so you need an empty space, don't you? Other, because if it was all ruach Elohim, then how could it be hovering? The is another. This is a, one of those psukim that you know. Merachevet al pnei hamayim, al pnei hamayim. Where's the Mayim? Where'd the Mayim come from? Oh, you don't know any of these things. But you've seen this puzzle before. It didn't bother you. Okay. The, the, the blessed are those who are not bothered. Now there's a commentary of the Balaturim, which I just quote here because he happens to quote the Medrash that I'm interested in. But it also it's printed on the page of the of most micro of many micro the Balaturim, so you can look it up. The, he says begematria zohi rucho shel melech hamashiach. What do you think of that? Did you do that again? Begematria gematria is like when you take numerical values for words. And you say they have the same numerical words or the value of some other word. That's called a gematria. Right, so let's leave that out. It doesn't, doesn't matter. I mean, we can figure it out because the Balaturim like that. But what is it that he's connecting to what? Zohi Ruchoshel Melech HaMashiach. So he said, he said, Ruach Elohim, it can't be, there's no such thing. He, the Balaturim. Or the Medrash. It's in the Medrash Rabbah. Tanaim. He says, he says, no such thing as Ruach Elohim. That's all there was before creation. There was only God. There was only God. So the person should say, Elohim. What's Ruach Elohim? How could there be Ruach Elohim before creation? How could we distinguish Elohim, God, from the Spirit of God. 
Isn't it based on the name? Which name? The name of Hashem being used right now. Because you have many names for Hashem. Okay, that's, I think that's a different direction. Okay. Not what the Balaturim says. The Balaturim says, Rucho is not God. It's something different than God. What is it? What is the spirit of God? What is the spirit of God? That's what the Balaturim quotes from the Medrash. What does that mean? What does that mean? What does it mean to us? It means that Melech HaMashiach was there even before creation. You see the Rambam says, remember the Rambam? Rambam. The Rambam said that kingship morphed into Melech Mashiach. And what does the Balaturim say? That Melech Mashiach was the idea all along. So you have an interesting, an interesting idea that B'nai Yisrael was supposed to create the family that would eventually produce the Melech HaMashiach. And they started out with Sha'ol HaMelech and that was not so good. Didn't work out. Even though the Ramban, in his discussion of this matter in the parasha Vayechi in Breshit, the Ramban said that if Sha'ol HaMelech had been uh, righteous, he would have been considered the king of Israel and that David HaMelech would also have been the king of Israel at the same time. He didn't think that if the kingship is something that is spiritual that you could have more than one. I mean, it didn't bother him. But Shaul HaMelech lost the right to be the king and David HaMelech was appointed and that appointment was considered to be final. It was the appointment that created the family that ultimately produced the Melech HaMashiach. That's the way the Rambam saw it. How did the Medrash say it? See that? How did the Medrash say it? Ruach Elohim Rachefet Al Pnei Hamayim. What is Ruach Elohim? Is that the same as Elohim? No. It's something separate, important, necessary, which will ultimately make the world into what it should be and we call that ultimate situation Melech HaMashiach and that's what the Rambam that's what the Rambam wanted us wanted us to know that it's rooted in human action but in fact reflects divine will in the most uh, impressive manner and that divine will is in the first pasuk of the Torah the second pasuk and the Balaturim quotes the Medrash, meaning that there was already a perfection before creation that produced in some aspects a lack of perfection. Right? Creation, as the Kabbalists all understood, produced a kind of lack of, of perfection that even though man slash woman is created by God. We don't always act as though we are created by God. So that's called, wow. No one has ever called me in this year. No, it's my daughter who is in Vienna or something, Zurich. I'll call her back.
I will call her back. Uh, I know I was saying something. So you, so you see, there is this, uh, like, attempt sometimes. Sometimes human action produces a desired result so that even though the Pesach says, we have to wait. We have to wait. And Rabbi Yehuda says, it's a good thing to have a king. In fact, it's a mitzvah. Rabbi Nehorai say, no, they're just angry at their own situation. Nevertheless, somehow the Rambam intuited, he doesn't quote this medrash that the Balaturim quotes, but he intuited that kingship was about the ultimate, the ultimate situation that Am Yisrael would be in. And that ultimate, that ultimate situation, that ultimate situation was uh, uh, what we call Melech, uh, Melech HaMashiach. Uh, just a few more lines in the Ramban. Go back to the Ramban. Rem- you have to remember all these different things about the Melech. You will say you want to have a king. So the Ramban says, You see the Ramban? It's like the second source on the left. Simalai Melech. Haldat Raboteinu. That there are those who say this is a mitzvah. And so we're obliged to ask for a king. In other words, there's a mitzvah to make a fence around your, around your roof. Right? There's such a mitzvah. You have to make a, it's called a ma'akeh a handrail or something that will prevent you from falling off. So, of course, you only have to do that mitzvah if you have a roof. You have something, if you have something like that. But if you don't have a roof, if you live in an apartment, then it's on the second floor. You don't have to make, you don't have the mitzvah. You don't have to do the mitzvah. The mitzvah is dependent on the situation. The same thing is true, Chazal said about this, about having a king. It depends on asking for a king. If you ask for a king, if you ask for a king, then you have to have a king. And so, another interpretation of the word which I think means, and if you say, he says, no, no, once you decided to have a king, you have to go to the Kohanim and to the Shoftim in your generation and ask them to appoint a king. So there's another way the Ramban says, even though I, the Ramban, don't think that there's a specific mitzvah to have a king, but I understand those who have interpreted this pasuk as meaning we have to have a king. Okay, have a uh, good Shabbos.